0: Rich Edwards is the CEO of MindSpan Systems, their company helping community financial institutions with data. He is an artificial intelligence and data veteran, having worked on and launched IBM Watson. Rich, excited to have you on. Welcome.
1: Thanks, George. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal lives, more about your work, why you do what you do
1: sure yeah i'm i'm kind of like an unlikely entrepreneur to be um in this position uh my my background from from a career standpoint is i actually started in the military i was an army officer um this was in the 90s it was a completely different deal and i had actually left the military uh, uh, in 99 so before all of that changed radically Um, i ended up working in operations for a while went back to school for a little bit and uh, then finally ended up at IBM and uh, worked largely in what would be considered like infrastructure type jobs. So this is data center automation. I was largely working in software and uh, ended up working in, in the finance. industry. So supporting a lot of like very large banks. Institutional banks, um, you think Wall Street, think uh, things that are like Social Security Administration, Federal Reserve, but worldwide. Um, spent a lot of times working with those clients largely on what their requirements are, like, like talking about what type of problems you were solving. And this kind of gets into post-Great Recession. So Sarbanes-Oxley, um, uh, Bramley's biley some of the things from a data retention and, and handling standpoint, like the the job of finance changed. And one of my jobs was kind of help them from a technology standpoint, how do, how do we address their needs? Plus this like unprecedented consolidation, right? Um, hundreds of institutions becoming dozens on the very large side. Um, and about that time, this was like 2013, so this is about 10 years ago, um, I got tapped to be part of what would become a whole new business unit in IBM, which turned out to be IBM Watson. It was the artificial intelligence unit. And uh, up until that point, uh, there had obviously been the PR type stuff, particularly like the the the, um, the Jeopardy challenge, which had been driven by IBM Research which is a whole weird animal um, in and of itself because it's a lot more like a university than it is like a corporate research and development organization. Um, And there had also been a very long going knowledge management um, project that had been going with certain um, medical institutions uh, where they were doing research around practices within medicine that had a lot of innovation in them, and it was the ability of physicians to ingest that information quickly, so like reports and clinical trials and things like that, and they were beginning to use some of these same natural language understanding capabilities and um, uh, resources that IBM Research was creating and applying it to that field, and that was like one of the first things that kind of got branded Watson, and So I got brought in largely because they wanted to have a brand new offering that was developer-focused that was essentially a a platform that our customers could build on top of. And that kind of sounds like a route thing right now because every cloud service provider does it. But at the time, um, really the only thing that you saw there that kind of looked or smelled like developer services for AI was was largely telephony. Um, The big player there was, was Google. Around Android investments. So they did a lot of like text to speech, speech to text stuff that was in like a phone context, right? That, that, that was how they were using it. But there wasn't a lot of other things around that from um, natural language uh, uh, understanding, natural language processing. And we had a lot of really interesting, cool things. That A lot of it at that time was the proverbial hammer looking for a nail. Um, it was like a lot of neat stuff, but it wasn't really obvious how it would get used. So our job beyond building the product was kind of taking it out on the, on the road and taking it to a lot of different customers and saying, Hey, here's like two dozen things that you can do today that you couldn't do before, or would take a very long time or were very labor intense, particularly from like um, processing and understanding large amounts of unstructured text or uh, unstructured data, which you kind of think of like text, video audio this is stuff that isn't in the spreadsheet right it's not tables of rows and the ability to process that and understand it and go what is this about what is it what is what do i get out of it what do i understand that it means and particularly if it's written by human what is the sentiment like if they're talking about a subject is it positive is it negative right and it's the combination of like three or four things that were kind of well understood but it was being able to do it very quickly at scale and in this consumable fashion. And at the time we were just doing it as essentially as APIs, right? Things that you could incorporate into other products. And that, that was a fairly novel idea. Again, we're, we're talking 10 years ago. Um, and so that was that was really great, it was really interesting. And me being the guy that had worked with all the large banks and kind of talk bank. I was the bank guy for Watson for a while. And so I did the road show to all the different banks and walked around and did that for several years. And it was, it was very interesting. It was drinking from the fire hose and trying to combine this kind of very technical, um, you know, deep understanding and this like new cutting edge piece of what we were doing in the domain of finance. And, and that's, that's what I did. And, and <clears throat> that went for a while and. We can talk about this if you want or if anybody has questions i'm happy to talk about it but but i i kind of think ibm missed the boat uh on this from from a strategy standpoint and you know way more interested in being um an enterprise services company than they were necessarily being a product company um and uh about that time about 2018 i was said this maybe isn't for me in the long term and and time to move on and uh, i went out and i was what i was really looking for was was this idea that I thought was coming, right? This kind of combination between what machine learning, what artificial intelligence could do, what the promise was. And in particularly in domains where frankly, data was really valuable. Uh, And you're largely looking at like regulated uh, industries at this point. So the two biggest ones are are healthcare and and finance um, or or particularly banking in particular. i was kind of looking for a company that had expertise in that particularly the ability to go and serve those those companies but also had the potential to begin to add you know and absorb this new technology and help their customers with it and that's what eventually led me to mindspan um because they had a very long track record uh both in in financial services and banking and on the healthcare side uh' working with several companies that you know they, they were Able had the skills and capabilities to like work under, um, the alphabet soup of regulation for finance, uh, but then also healthcare under things like, like HIPAA regulation, you know, handling patient data. So that's kind of what got me to where I am today.
0: Nice. So you literally have this supercomputer that can do things that we've maybe never even imagined. And you're going to these big banks and you're saying, you're saying what we can do this or is it what would you like to be able to do if you could do anything? How does that conversation go?
1: Um, it, it 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 usually starts with a, a very specific pain point. Um, a, a lot of times when we talk to customers, uh, um, they're dealing with something that maybe isn't directly related to technology at all. Right, it's it's a competitive standpoint. It's sometimes it's a compliance issue, um, and um, one of the one of the things that you know is an underpinning idea of what we do, and, and it's a core idea. Is first party data is valuable. When I say first party data, what I mean is the data that that companies and organizations have um, about their markets, their customers, how they operate um things that are unique to them even if they have many competitors even if they have many larger competitors there's an awful lot of things that they know that is not public information and and that's generally classified there's there's some more nuance to it but that's generally classified as first-party data for most regulated industries first-party data is seen as a liability it's this thing that has a like this compliance noose around and They are generally of the posture of data needs to be protected. And when we think about data governance or how we handle data, it's very much from a compliance and a protection standpoint, which they absolutely have to do because there's a whole lot of stick from a regulatory oversight standpoint to make them do that. What they don't have is a really good idea of how could we make our products and services better? How could we be a more competitive offering in the market if we were to able to use this data completely in a compliant way, but in a way that helps us serve our customer better, to be more personalized, to be more relevant to them? And that's usually where the, the gap is. And a lot of the initial conversations is just kind of talking about this sometimes uncomfortable tension um, between who's, how much level will make sure that I don't Comply. Um and why this is kind of more of an issue now was right around 2019. This was kind of just before just before the pandemic, and it really got accelerating in 2020 and 2021, was the interest in like the direct to whole segment in financial technology or I think the more P2P payments like uh Venmo, which is part of PayPal or Cash App which is actually part of uh, Square, what's now called Block. Um, also, things like there's a company called SoFi, which is kind of famous for doing um, student loan refinancing. Uh, they are of the size now that they sponsor the um, stadium that the LA ran. And, you know, like they had the Super Bowl there, right? So also the Chargers are the same stadium, but, but it's SoFi Stadium, right? They are like that. They are now like a household name. Uh, from a brand standpoint, well, they all play in the space of financial technology that, in some way, augments and helps traditional banking, and in other ways, is in direct competition. And so, what you saw was was a it was a banking industry, particularly at the community banking level, a small local bank, suddenly found themselves competing with companies that they had never heard of, they had never had to compete with before, largely, you know, these kind of like tech-driven, venture-backed companies, and. In that time period, like 2021 through actually like the end of 22, was this massive acceleration of investment that that went into uh, fintech worldwide, but in the U.S. in particular. Um, and they, you know, you saw a lot of a lot of these like smaller financial organizations begin to be overwhelmed with the the competition they were facing for like not comprehensive across the board banking services, but for like. Very well honed, very high touch, high design, very well done customer experience for like point products, right? Payments was one of the big ones. I remember seeing um, analysis from, I think it was Park Investment, that they had looked at how long it took um, both Venmo and Cash App to get the same number of accounts not dollars but the same number of individual accounts as JP Morgan Chase had who's the largest um the largest retail bank in the world um and you saw JP Morgan Chase largely did it through acquisitions that started about 1990 up until this year um uh with Re- with Republic Bank um and you know it was several billion dollars of of M&A I was actually, I think yeah several billion dollars of M&A uh, maybe a dozen, like big bank mergers. And you saw Venmo do it, I think, in about seven years. And Cash App, who started several years later, they only did it in five. And wow. they were both in this like exponential growth in their acquisition of customers. And it just kind of showed like how business was done, how growth worked in consumer financial services. As the game has completely changed. And so that's where a lot of... Um, smaller community financial banks and credit unions find themselves today and that's really the marketplace where we work to kind of help them remain relevant and frankly be able to use that first party data they have better to serve their customers better
0: what are some what are some use cases that some of these community banks have have implemented that is helping them to be more competitive
1: yeah. Um, I, a lot of them kind of fall under the, the big tent of um, personalization. And, and when I say personalization, what I mean is that there's both the element of, you kind of think of things like um, personalized communication. You get an email and it has your name. like That's like real knock, knock, level stuff. That's just blocking attack. This is more, I understand you either as part of a very, very small segment, not one that's defined by where you live and how much money you make and, you know, sex and age and things like that, but like from a behavioral standpoint, Right. And really the idea there is trying to get down to a segment of one, that when I interact with you or you interact with me, uh, whether in branch at the ATM via a partner, via email or thing I send you in the mail, or when you log into the app or you do anything that's kind of revolves closely around your financial lifestyle, I am talking to you as an individual, and what I'm presenting is the problem as easily and as efficient as possible and and pointing you in the right direction. Um, A a real simple version of this is if if you have a holistic view of your customers, right, you can help them in, in ways that creates, you know, these kind of like really like wow moments, right? So real simple way. And this is like an easy one to do. It sounds cool, but it's relatively easy to do. Somebody logs into into the bank's website and they begin searching through the knowledge base for fraud. How do I report fraud? Uh, Fraud questions, FAQ on fraud. And then they pick up the phone and call, right? You have everything you know right now to understand that this phone call is about fraud. Don't put them through a phone tree, or if you do make the first option fraud, or connect them directly to the fraud department. That this element of, I know exactly what you need and I'm here to help you to get it done and I'm not gonna make you lift a finger to do that, right? That's, that's, a, that's like that next level up of like, we are using your, our data in a way to make our service better for you. This is that much better. Um, understanding when you're kind of hitting certain milestones in life, when certain things are happening and being there proactively with advice, assistance, offers for what's going on um one of the one of the things right now that i see an awful lot is um there's there's an idea of asset flight right That are kind of people are taking their money and trying to move to a um a safer safer place right which largely means like very very large too big to fail banks what you see community banks doing very well right now is is that's not happening and it's largely because they're having these like one-on-one conversations with their customers and and able to treat them as individuals particularly when they come in and they say well i want to cash out the cd because i'm moving it because i get a half point better right they see less of that but when they do see that they're able to kind of step in and say, well, let's let's talk about why, what you're trying to do, here's how we can help you, how our offers are as good, if not better for what you're looking at. Plus let's think about long-term what's going on, here, right? And like, just the ability to have that conversation as you get bigger and you have a more industrialized at scale organization that runs more like a factory than it is a local community financial institution, Those conversations happen way less often and they're they're more mechanical and they're less personal. And so their ability and and really what they're trying to add here is if they can use that data they have to make that level of service, that personal level of service that they're so good at in a branch that like hundreds of years some of these institutions have, have been on. If they can make that available and inherent in all of their channels, all of their brand touch points, they're almost unstoppable for a lot of what they're doing. Like that is an unfair advantage they have against even the largest institutions out there.
0: That is very cool right there. So you sit down with a community bank and what is is the implementation process typically? Is there a typical process?
1: We start off with an audit trying to like talk about like, well, what are you trying to do? And what's the hard part? Because there's a technical lift, right? They're like, we would love to do X, but we don't have access or we do but it's very slow it we, we're not able to do it in a timely manner um and you know for a lot of times talking building something you know a, a, a technical solution at this level like that's not a thing that community financial institutions do like they buy solutions right so anything that doesn't come out of the box for them is is, is there's a gap there like they're they're not going to naturally have and so a lot of times it's like, what's the what's the simplest version of this that we can do, that we can help? You with? Uh, how can we get the right information in the right place at the right time? And there's a lot of ways to do that. like that. That's really not the hard part. Um, and, you know, I don't it, it's not like a failing on their part, because you, you think about the school, the, the skills like technical architecture and. Um, database design and uh, you know, things that kind of get into the more implementation side. Like this is a thing they're gonna do once every 10 years, maybe, right? So it's not worth it for them to actually build this out. It's it's worth it for them to kind of bring in advice to do it. And for a long time, there's been like a half dozen vendors that 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 kind of do the core banking systems for a lot of these institutions, but they they're at least a decade behind in what the requirements are. Um and because they have it's all, it's not quite a monopoly. It's more like an oligopoly. There's there's like three or four players for them from a core banking standpoint that have like eight, ninety percent market share, the latest and greatest, and do a lot of product development for them because they have a great franchise that they can kind of harvest. From. And so they, they find themselves this like greater requirement they need to be competitive. And the vendors and the core providers they've relied on for a long time aren't terribly incentive to help them at this point. Um, so that's kind of where that gap is. It's, it's, we know we have to do more, but we can't use the systems and the process and really the people that we've worked with for decades to help us do the new, and we're gonna do it in May. And it's not gonna be part of this single monolithic system that you do every in your bank around. Like we're gonna create a layer that recognizes number one, the value of the data that you have. Two, lets you take ownership of it ownership of it, uh, and, and control and everything kind of falls under that, not just compliance, but how do we make sure the right data shows up in front of the right person at the right time? Like putting all of that on top of there with this understanding of this data is valuable. It's only getting more valuable. When you start to layer on things like what artificial intelligence and machine learning can do, j- just a simple question, right? At some point, they're gonna have the ability, and just frankly, everyone is gonna have the ability to cheaply and efficiently create their own large language model, their own chat GPT, right? Where you can like ask these like very plain language questions or say, create a list of customers that do X, Y, and Z for me. Um, and, and all of the things that would normal be like SQL coding and, you know, database design, and how do we bring all this up? Like all of that gets abstracted away. You're gonna be able to do that on your own. Um, that's gonna be available to everybody, but it's only gonna be valuable to you if the, the answers that are coming out of that are unique to you. They're not something that has, you know, been sent off and, and given away to a third-party vendor that has been, you know, just aggregated together in some central repository. Then it's great, it helps you, but it gives you no competitive advantage. So the understanding of like what's in there that's gonna be really valuable, it's valuable today, but it's gonna be much, much more valuable and really give you like probably the core part of your competitive advantage going forward. Like that's the part you need to get your hands on today and be ready to like, how do we structure this and begin to put the practices in place so that this is only like a compounding asset for us going forward, right? Take it from a liability to an asset. Um, That discussion, that like change in how they view things, that's the hard part. That's the part that actually takes the most work. Technical implementations, the, the thing that kind of says we can show you, an, you know, an impact of doing this in the next quarter, you know, that you can show the boss and make the CFO happy, right? That's usually what we're shooting for, right? You want to have an impact that, that it doesn't matter what you're doing or what's underneath it, but, you know, the risk officer is happy and the CFO is happy. And that's really all that matters. That means your budget gets to at least stay the same, if not go up next year. That's that's what we're shooting for. That's what a good
0: outcome. That makes a ton of sense. Got to thread that needle, Rich. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more yeah, about well, you and how can they how can they engage with Mindspan?
1: Sure. Uh, anybody who wants to reach out has questions for me. Take a look at look at some of the things that we write. Uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. I think we've given you a link to that, but I'm, I'm Rich Edwards on LinkedIn. Um, also, you can check out Mindspan Systems. We're at MindspanInc.com.
0: Well, if you enjoy this as much as I did, show Rich your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to MindspanInc.com. Check out everything that they are working on there. You could find Rich on LinkedIn and I will put all of those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Rich. Thanks, George. Until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.